Well, hello there and welcome back to the podcast. As always, this is uh, your typical host, Brayden. And I say typical host because today we're doing something very different. I will not be hosting this podcast episode. My friend Claire is going to be hosting this episode. What we're going to play for you is an episode we recorded for her podcast. So she interviewed me on her podcast. We're going to share that interview here, and she's going to be doing the same on her podcast. If you missed uh, me interviewing Claire on Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden, you can go back. It was in December, I think, of 2021. We did that interview. It was super interesting if you want to learn more about Claire. And then you can come back and listen to Claire interview me. We're going to talk about my finances. She's going to ask me how I get paid because that's the format of her show. And you're going to learn a lot about my business. If that's something that you're interested in, I think it will be fun for you uh, to get more insights. So that's it. I am now going to turn it over to Claire. Today, just FYI, my audio will not be as good because I have the heat on because look at me. I mean, it's so cold. Um, okay, here we go. Braden Drake, welcome to the Get Paid Podcast. Hi, Claire. I'm so excited to be here. Very pumped to get this get this party started. Okay, well, it's like the third time or something that we're starting it, and that's all good. So before we get into how you get paid and all that jazz, first, I'd like us to pick up the conversation that we were just having when I was like, wait, 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 we're not recording. And this is the stuff that people want to know because we were talking about something that I don't want to pay taxes on because Brayden knows mm -hmm. about taxes and legal stuff and stuff that is, I find painfully boring, but also terribly necessary. And if there's one person who just does not make it boring, it's you. I do my best. You sure do. Your best is great. So, and just FYI for the listeners, um, Braden's also a friend of mine. So this is going to be one of those shows, you know, where we probably just giggle a lot. Um, all right. So we were talking about those boxes that you get uh, maybe when you join a program, I know that when our members join Get Paid Marketing, we send out a box, like a welcome thing. Uh, but my question was, Brayden, aren't like client gifts supposed to be 20 or $25? And these boxes are more than that. How is, what, what do I do with that tax-wise? So it's funny because every time you ask me this question, I'm like in my brain, I'm like twisting it a little bit, but I think context is so important, right? So what we were talking about earlier is the difference between a client gift and just an, an expense per client. So I gave the example of like, if you hosted an in-person event and you had swag bags, I guess is what we call them with like journals and pens and stuff. Like I wouldn't consider that a gift. I would consider it an expense and running the event. Now, if we wanted to get super into the technicalities, we'd probably go to like IRS instructions. I could find those. We could read them. We won't do that. Your audience would get super bored. Um, but it's kind of, it has a lot to do with, you know, uh, the details on how and why you're giving those things to your clients, students, friends, et cetera. Got it. So you, you said like, if all the clients get them, then your thoughts are that it's probably an expense. It's just part of the expense yeah, that's of the program. How I feel about it. Like if they, if it's like person joins your program, you're sending person X, Y, Z thing. Like I sent postcards before, right. Or, and I've, I've sent coasters. Like I would just consider that like a client expense, 
But the other example I gave was if you're sending uh, like a package every December or like every new year that's not really tied um, to anything, then that would be a gift. Oftentimes I view gifts as something that you're kind of sending, um, just sending at any random time in order to keep like current or previous clients like happy and satisfied and top of mind. So they want to keep working with you. Mm, got it. For a couple of years in a row, my husband was getting these very generous gift certificates from a company. Like he was, his company was the subcontracting company, right? So they weren't clients. Um, and like, sometimes you just end up on their lists. Like that happened to me. Uh -huh. Somebody was sending me delicious cookies every Christmas. And then one year it just <laughs> stopped because I wasn't on their list anymore, I guess. But yeah, and that, that I would probably consider a gift, but then I don't know, someone else might say like, sounds like advertising to me. So that's when we get like really Ooh. into the nitty gritty, like nitty gritty rules of these different expenses. Okay. Thank you. So mm -hmm. first tell us your pronouns. And then second, how do you get paid? Sure. So I like all pronouns, but generally he, him is what I go by and I get paid Nowadays, mostly through online membership courses, speaking, and other general online things. And you said in another version of us trying to record this that you got like three boxes for speaking in the past month? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I participated in the month of March. I participated in two bundles and three or four summits, which, you know, kind of lesson learned because it's hard for me to promote all of those things. But we booked a lot of those in like November and December. So I wasn't looking too carefully at the launch dates, I think, when I agreed to them. Because, you know, I batched out all the work for it in January. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I wonder about the cost of... No, no, I'm literally thinking because you like to discuss things like profit margins. Um, I'm thinking about the cost of sending those boxes to all the participants yeah. of a summit given the price well, point of, go ahead. Yeah. It wasn't to all the participants. It was to all the speakers in the no, summit. Sure. But summits have a lot of speakers. That's yeah. what I, I meant. Yeah. I think one of them was, um, was maybe 20 to 30 speakers. If I had a guess, I would say that the total box probably cost them about 20 to $30. Oh, okay. Um, and like there was a mug in there that still had a threshold sticker on it. If you're not familiar, that's a like a brand through Target. So I I took that to Target and got an eight dollar credit. No way! Like, yeah, because <laughs> I'm full disclosure, everyone. Like I consider myself to be a minimalist. Like I only own four mugs. That's all the mugs that I want. I'm like, oh, it still has the sticker on it, so I'll take it and I'll get a credit and I'll get something else. Um, but it was like, uh, that one was a, like a spa day care package. So she had like a face mask in there and some tea and some other things. It was really lovely and nice. I loved getting that. Um, but yeah, I'd say probably about $30, but then I think the expectation is that everyone that you're sending them to, you know, is going to have like at least 10 affiliate sales or something. Mm, got it. Yeah. I really struggle with the selection of those box items because, um, I definitely, when I started out, I was sending people some real ugly mugs. Like I thought they looked nice, but like when I look back on some of those people's aesthetics, Becca Tracy is one of those people. Do you know Becca? 
she would love you. I don't think so. Okay. She, she's been on my show a couple of times. Um, yeah, but for me, it's the packaging that like, that really gets me and I can't figure out a better way, you know, like all the shredded paper because who's cleaning that up. I am, (laughs) you know, like the kids get into it and then not to mention environmentally recycle that. Yeah. When I, so I was a, like an ambassador in Amy Porter fields course for a couple of cycles. And when we did that, we got like one of those big, I think they're called Fox box. Is that the name of the company? Those are, so there's like some pretty, pretty cool stuff in there, but a lot of the times the mugs are very like, Oh my God, live, laugh, love this mug. Very that What is with live, laugh, love? That's a new thing. And I only just discovered it on TikTok, but do you have any idea oh where it's God, from? Claire. Go to like, go to any Midwestern mom's house and you'll see my, literally my mom, when I was a freshman in college, my mom had me put a live, laugh, love, like word art decal, like above the entrance to her kitchen. And this was like before it was really cool. So maybe she's the trendsetter. I don't know, (laughs) but yeah, it's a word art. People love it. And on mugs in particular, I think. Oh my gosh. Wow. I'm feel like I've avoided it. Amazing. Um, okay. We could talk about these boxes for a long time, but so tell the good people, like how you got started in this business. Cause I actually don't know this story myself. Sure. Well, I'll give you like the very broad overview version, and then you can dial into the things that you think will be interesting. That's great. Thank you for just making cool. my job so easy. Yes. So I'm originally from Indiana, um, moved to San Diego, California to go to law school, did that whole thing, had some internships, graduated, passed the bar exam, and I ended up getting my master's degree in tax law. Um, So that technically makes me a tax and small business attorney. And then I knew for a lot of reasons that I wanted to go into solo practice, but I also knew that like long-term, I didn't want to scale a large law firm. So I got kind of lucky because about six months to a year in, about a year, a little more than a year in, I discovered Amy P, like the, you know, we all know her, right? Started following her. She did a magnificent job of selling me into her course on creating courses as she does. And then I got totally sucked in. And within about a year from that, I had pretty much entirely pivoted into the online space and was doing very limited one-on-one work. Wow. Okay. So that's 2019 where you launched your first course. Yeah. So it was 2019. So I'd been a uh, full-time in business for just about a year at that point. Got it. Oh, okay. Wow. That's really funny. I didn't know that Amy Porterfield had like such an impact on your, like doing the online business thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, she really introduced me to online business. Like I first heard her on Jenna Kutcher's podcast because all of my, you know, like 28 year old, like entrepreneur lady boss friends were super into Jenna Kutcher. So I listened to that, found Amy, started listening to her podcast. And really this whole online space was completely foreign to me. Uh, And I think that's how she gets a lot of her students is introducing people to the concept first and then selling them into the program. And that was really my journey to get here starting out. Very interesting. I didn't have any entrepreneur friends until I became an entrepreneur. Hmm. I'm just thinking about that. No, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> but, but it's because I worked for my husband who was an entrepreneur. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's how I met them. And that's actually how I found out about 
okay, this isn't about me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was just doing a podcast episode about one of the biggest things that I learned from my last boss before I got fired. And it was like, I feel like it really gave me a leg up in business. So, um, that, yeah. that episode should be out by the time this one is. Well, you know, Claire, people are really interested to hear your story. We're going to send them over to my podcast to listen to your interview. Oh yeah, most definitely. Oh, and we also <laughs> had this, we also had this plan to air this episode on your podcast, but I got to tell you, Brayden, like, okay, that's just FYI for, for listeners. That was a strategy I was thinking of just like focusing on people who have podcasts, interviewing them on my show and then having them publish it on theirs. But I'll tell you, Brayden, this feels like an unusual episode already. I'm not sure if you're going to want to publish it on yours, but I love an un unusual episode. We will, we can talk about it. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's, it feels a little bit more organic than some of my other shows because I like you so much. Um, and I really just wanted to hang <laughs> out with you today. Um, okay. So what was the first course that you launched and, and like, how did you so do it? Do you remember? Course, yeah. So my first course was called legally launched and it was essentially teaching you how to form an LLC or a sole prop, um, without like having to hire an attorney or without using legal zoom. So I priced that, I think around $325 because I said, you know, it has to be inexpensive enough that people will actually want to do it rather than just using LegalZoom. That was the main thing. Um, I think at the time I had around 400 people on my email list. How did you I get got, them? Uh, maybe actually, I think it was less than that. Um, and I got 14 students in that first Wow. Course. Hold yeah. up. Uh, okay. 3.5% conversion rate higher probably since you yeah. said it was, it was less, but where did you get those initial subscribers from? Oh, Claire, I was like grinding for sure. Organic. Um, I did a lot of, so around that time I did, a was doing a lot of in-person speaking. And when I say in-person speaking, like I now am the co-leader of our rising tide chapter in San Diego. That's like a global organization for creatives. But back then I had just kind of discovered it. And a few months before I launched my course, they had a legal month in September. Like that was the topic of the all of rising tide. And I contacted pretty much every leader within Southern California and asked them if I could speak to their group. I drove to Thousand Oaks, which is North of LA. It's about a four hour drive to speak to a group of what ended up being like four or five people. Um, and I spoke to Palm Springs. I ended up speaking like to nine different groups, uh, that month wow. was driving everywhere. And uh, just you know, so I that people know, talk. I know, yeah. but, but this is really, it's not just that you love to talk. It's, it's like, you love to execute. Yeah. Oh, and educate. I love to educate as well. Yeah, no, no. But, but you, you are someone who you're like, I'm going to do this thing. And then you really do it. You don't seem to have a lot of baggage around saying, all right, I'm going to get on X number of podcasts. And then you just, you just do it. And meanwhile, I'm like, oh yeah, I should get on some podcasts. And I just like fuck around and watch TikTok instead. And, and they're very, I feel like you executed a really high level. Well, I, I tried to, to me, to me, that just, it just comes second nature. It's like, you say that you're going to do something and you do it. I don't always hit like my targets. Like sometimes I'm a long way off. We'll talk about that. Um, but I'm usually always, if I say that I'm going to try to do something, I at least put in the work that I say that I'm going to do to, you know, 
to try to make it happen. And were you always like that? Like, were you like that in school? No. Um, so still pretty, we're, I'm like 90% sure I have ADHD. I've not yet gotten a formal diagnosis, but for me through this learning process as an adult, I've learned it has a lot to do with how much I enjoy something and how badly I want something to happen because a lot of my law school experience, I did really well my first year because I was super into it. But then after that, it would be like, I'd Amdur two classes, Amdur's like law school code for you get the highest grade in the class. Oh. It's like an A star. I'd like Amdur two classes and then get like C's in the other two classes. Cause I didn't like those two. So I just like wouldn't go to class. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right. So anyway, you drive around, you talk to nine different groups. This is in just like the ramp up to your launch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I did that. I also, we had this law passed in California called AB5. Uh, we could talk about that forever and ever. We don't need to, but it has like a serious law that deals with whether you can work with independent contractors. I'm actually going to be doing some pitching to go on some more online podcasts to talk about this because I think so many people's contractors are misclassified and that's like a lingering issue waiting to happen. But I did, um, there was a case that came out about that and I ended up writing a blog post. I made a freebie and I think I added like 150 people onto my list through that because people were organically sharing it. And then otherwise, um, like those were the first two big things, but I was getting a lot of my subscribers just by uh, engaging in Facebook groups to the mm -hmm. point where I'd like refresh my email list like multiple times a day. And I'd get so excited when I get like two or three new people because those first like several hundred, I was getting, you know, maybe like two people, two, three people a day, but I was like working to get those two to three people. Mm -hmm. That's how it felt anyway. Got it. Okay. And so- 14 people in your first launch, about $300, you say the course was, mm -hmm. and was it already done when you launched it? Yeah. Yeah. It was already done. Um, yes. Cool. Um, is that course still in existence? Uh, yes and no. It's that course ended up becoming, so that course is something Amy would call a spotlight course. So it's like a very specific topic, but not a huge course. That course ended up becoming a module inside of my signature course that I ended up launching later that fall. Oh, um, we can talk about that launch. I made $18,000 because I, the price point was 1000 and I got 18 students and now I have a course called Legally Launched, um, but I just really like the name. So I just took the name from the old course. And oh. now that course is specifically for like brand new baby business owners who don't want to form an LLC and need like a one hour course to get their EIN and their business license and like mm. the very basic stuff. Yeah. So, so you need an EIN as a sole prep? Uh, you don't have to have one, but you need, you have to have an EIN to open a business bank account. And although ah. a business bank account is not a legal requirement for sole props, it's highly recommended for a vast number of reasons. Tell us some of those because I didn't have one for a long time. Sure. Sure. So full disclosure, I teach about bookkeeping, but I'm very bad at doing my own bookkeeping, right? <laughs> That's so common. <laughs> yep. I mean, makes sense. Yeah. But when I went to go do my taxes two weeks ago, I was like, I, and I do kind of my own version of bookkeeping to record my profit reports on my own podcast. But when I go to do my formal bookkeeping for my taxes, I'm like, all right, I'm going to log into Stripe. It has my total income for the year. I'm going to look for my processing fee line for that deduction. And then I'm going to open my business bank statement and my business credit card to then log all of my expenses. So just the fact that I have all of that separated makes it so easy. 
when you're a new business owner and you are, you know, making personal purchases at Target and business purchases at Target under the same bank account, how the fuck do you know, like which one of those receipts, like your pens were on, right? You don't. So then it turns into a hot mess express and there's no way to untangle that. But could you have, I might've had, dude, I think I had a business credit card before I had a business bank account. <laughs> Could, yeah, I'd say that's possible? fairly unusual, but it's better oh. than, I mean, if you're putting everything on the business credit card and then paying it from your bank account, then you're basically, yeah, you're like, have your own version of separation there that it would at least make the bookkeeping easier. Okay. I'm trying to remember when I first opened a business bank account, the problem was for so long, I was in Argentina and it was like you, there were no banks that let you, oh, mm. now I remember I just had two separate Schwab accounts. So they were both personal that accounts. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I did. Okay, makes sense. Claire, I don't think we've ever talked about this, but for a minute, I really thought my niche was going to be digital nomads because I took a lot oh. of international tax classes. We should connect on that sometime. Very oh. random. But wow. Yeah. But that sounds hard, international tax. I mean, it was for me also just being an expat. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I'm actually participating in a bundle starting this week for digital nomad entrepreneurs. So oh, I have wow. to add a bonus to my membership on the foreign earned income exclusion, if you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. So that'll be a fun, fun little addition. Well, I just heard, I just saw a TikTok about somebody who moved to Germany, was able to uh -huh. not pay any taxes in the US on her, uh, uh, no, it was, she didn't pay her student loans because she didn't have any US income. And uh -huh. then after, you know, whatever the, the number of years is for forgiveness, which I don't think that was a thing when I had student loans, then they were just wiped. Forgiven, yeah. Yeah, I don't really know how that works because my understanding is like, you have to be making payments in order for those years to take oh. by, but mm. this is why I don't educate on student loans. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool, yeah. Um, it did sound too good to be true. And also, um, Scarlett Cochran has been on the show before. I swear that she did a video about how, or no, maybe I started looking at it after I saw a video of hers that those for like forgiveness, it actually rarely comes through, but her husband's yeah. were forgiven. And okay. Anyway, just chatting. <laughs> um, okay. So tell me about 2020 for you. Where were you when the pandemic hit? No, okay. Uh, just how did sure. life change for you? Yeah, so it was a really weird year from a business perspective. From a personal perspective, like live with my husband. We have no kids. Like, you know, my biggest issue was like, I don't get to go to CrossFit anymore, which was my social outlet every day. So ultimately, lots of personal privileges. It wasn't like a terrible personal year other than feeling like bored and cooped up. Up, right. From a business perspective, I had a pretty good year, but at the time, I don't think I viewed it as like COVID is actually helping my business in a particular way, which I know is kind of uncomfortable to say, but we can talk about it. But my previous years, I went from 30K to 70K. And then in 2020, I did 140. So I just thought, oh, doubling my revenue is the natural trajectory of my business. Mm -hmm. But what happened that year was my primary niche at the time, and to a certain extent still is wedding industry professionals. So a lot of photographers, wedding planners, et cetera. And as you can imagine, when we went on lockdown, all of their weddings got canceled. 
So they were in this constant chaos of what the fuck is a force majeure clause? Like none of us knew, right? So I was talking about that every day. And then also what do I do with my clients? Because some of them want to cancel, some want to postpone. What do we do with the retainers? It got very complicated, very quick. And so I ended up launching a membership. And at the time I had already gone through Stu McLaren's course on creating a membership. And I did something that was probably good and bad. I ended up completely tailoring the membership to the experience everyone was having at that given time, which was great because people joined. But then as soon as they were resolving all of their inches, uh, all of their issues, the retention just like nosedived. Uh Um, So that helped bump up my revenue in 2020. But then once 2021 rolled around, it was kind of like I've helped everyone resolve this issue. And now they're off doing twice as many events. They're too busy to like join my programs. And so that was the, like really the struggle for me. Mm. So in what ways did you tailor the experience to what they were going through? Just kind of talking about all of those, those sticky situations, or was it that like you created content around that? Yeah, created content, but I think like my webinar that I launched the membership with was titled something like uh, how to create a refund proof contract. Mm. So a lot of the messaging was around like, how do you create your contract so that you don't have to issue refunds for retainers? And then a lot of the webinar content was on how do we structure your payment terms so that um, you can keep your money if they cancel 30 days out, 60 days out, collect what they still owe you, what happens if they postpone. And then uh, a lot of the content inside of the membership, like most of my memberships, it was really a course inside of a membership with weekly calls. Mm -hmm. And so people were coming onto our weekly calls with like, I have a client who wants to postpone for the third time. I used your postponement template. I tweaked it this way. I'm going to send it to them. And then also here's the email that I wrote to go along with the contract. And I would review it and like do track changes. Mm. And then they would send it out. So I would see them on every call for three weeks until they got that client taken care of. And then I wouldn't see them again for a month. Uh Uh, And that cycle would kind of continue for like the six months that we were really struggling with this. Mm. And then at that point, I feel like a lot of my members had contracts that were way better than anything they'd ever had before. (laughs) And they really felt like they'd gotten their needs met, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, great from a client experience perspective, but not great for a membership. That's, you know, when you're trying, trying, trying to focus on retention. And what was the price of the membership then? So it started at, oh, so I actually already had the membership before, but I completely revamped it and then launched it, I think at a $39 price point. And then I did like a $10 increase several times until I think it got up to $69 a month. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. That's very interesting. So you weren't creating new content every month. Correct. Um, Yeah. As with everything that I launch, uh, they basically had about, if they went through the full program, it would take them at least six months to get through probably like eight to 12 months. Um, but then the ongoing was really just the support, like our support calls. Right. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Okay. Um, all right. So then you said 2021 was not not hot, if you will. Or it's it yeah. didn't follow that trajectory of doubling your business every year. 
Correct. I actually had a decrease. So my big goal, I had 140 K in 2020. I was like, I'm going to do 250 in 2021. Like, that's just what's happening. Um, I didn't think I'd be able to double it, but I was like, at least, you know, 250 will be great. That'll be a cute little number. Did not get close. Um, I had a launch in April of 2021. And this was the launch of my $2,000 signature course. At this point, I had had an $18,000 launch, a $35,000 launch and a $40,000 launch. And I had almost doubled my email list since my previous launch of 40K. So I thought, you know, we should be able to do at least like 60, 70, no problem. My goal was six figures. And I ended up making $10,000 on that launch. So it was kind of a holy shit moment. Had to do a lot of self-reflection. Um, and I know like several of the things that I did do wrong. <laughs> talk about those if you would like to. Yes, uh, let's and then talk I about kind that. of afterwards. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Let's talk about it. So first thing is I'd gone kind of stagnant on, uh, even though my email list had been growing, I hadn't been doing a lot of public speaking. And that's been like the number one way that I've like grown my list and kept it really engaged. Mm. And so I think I learned from that launch, like not to ever be complacent. Like there's no coasting, like to, in my mind right now, at least there's no coasting in business. Like you can coast, but you can't expect revenue to increase while you're just kind of chilling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of like... It's kind of like the myth of evergreen, right? Like evergreen can work, but it doesn't mean that you're not working. Right. right? So there yes. was that. Um, yes. We're going to have to, I should put that on a sticker. Oh evergreen yeah. Evergreen can work, but it doesn't mean that you're not working. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we had that. Um, also, I hadn't really branched out enough. Um, so I was still primarily speaking to the wedding and what happened was a lot of them had been paid in 2019 for events that they were supposed to be doing in 2020. And one of those events got postponed to 2021. They'd already been paid in full, but they still had to work all of them. Plus they had to book new weddings. So a lot of them were twice as busy, but not making more money. And so mm -hmm. they just, you know, were like, we don't have time. So I hired a VA and we started doing more podcast pitching. And in 2021, we put in a lot of effort to speak on like podcasts interior designers and other types of creatives for me to branch out a little bit more. And that's actually been working really well. So those were a few kind of issues I think I had with that launch. Hmm. Do you remember how many views of the sales page you got? I do not. <laughs> this this very detailed document that you have here is uh it's missing like really really minute <laughs> detail no that's always my question yeah. is like list size is fine but like actual numbers on the like actual eyeballs on the sales page you know that's always what's yeah. really i can't me. yeah i don't have like I don't have sales page numbers or conversion numbers in front of me, but what I can tell you is that with that launch in particular, my webinar signups were really low. Mm. Um, I tend to have, I, I don't think I've yet to have a launch with like poor webinar conversions. Like my webinars always convert pretty well. It always just tends to come down to how many people I can actually get on the webinar. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason with that launch, people were just not that interested hmm. in attending. Mm -hmm. And it could have been, you know, it, it could have been the time that I promoted it. Maybe I just didn't promote it very well, or it also could have been the webinar topic. I'm not sure. What was the topic? 
I'm pretty sure it was on cash flow management, which this was the same topic I'd done the previous November. Um, oh, I wow. Don't think I tweaked it that much. Yeah. Interesting. I have to say, your refund free contract or like whatever, however you called that webinar, I feel like that title is very powerful, even if it's not good, for, right? it's yeah. good for everyone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That one. Um, and I've actually given that same, I've turned that webinar into a presentation that I've presented at like a few different summits now, which has mm -hmm. been great. Um, but I'm thinking about using that same webinar to do like a mini promotion, mini launch of my current membership, maybe sometime this summer. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So you said that like you, April was your not great course launch. What did you do after that? Yeah, I kind of had, I actually wrote an email about this. Do you, are you also a huge fan of the movie, bring it on Claire? I'm a fan. Okay. I, I mean, I'm you not know, going, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, when they go to regionals and they do the, like the real goofy spirit fingers number that mm -hmm. was like directly copied by somebody else. And then right after that, they have this whole thing and they try to like vote out their cheer captain and some of them are going to quit, but then they like get it together and they decide that they're going to, um, they're going to like do their thing. And then they have a montage where they're learning like salsa and hip hop and all these other different dances. Mm -hmm. They're like, we're going to mix it up and we're going to uh, do new stuff. Um, that was very much my vibe for summer last last year I was like this is gonna be my movie montage moment um I'm not gonna assume that I have the answers but I'm gonna explore some options and try some different things and so that's what I did um because I think my tendency is always as you kind of pointed out earlier like this is the problem this is my solution I'm gonna create that solution in the next two weeks and then we're gonna relaunch um but I didn't really have the answers so I tried that didn't make very much money last summer but that was okay I spent a few months in processing mode and then I ended up hiring. I came up with the new program that I ended up launching in November, which is what I currently have now. And I hired a messaging coach. I hired, um, rehired my brand photographer, hired a graphic designer and spent like several months really uh, getting that program into like its state that it was ready to sell in. Okay. And so what is the current program? Like, how is it different to, to give us all the details? Yeah. So the new program is called Profit RX, tagline your prescription to build a healthy and wealthy business. What I spent a lot of time reflecting on was that, like, you also mentioned this earlier, no one's really passionate about taxes. Like everyone hates it, right? No one's really eager to form their LLC or their S Corp or to do any of this stuff in their business. And what I'd realized is at the end of the day, like we're all in this to make money, hopefully, if not like go form a nonprofit, I can tell you how to do that too, but we're all <laughs> in this to make profit specifically to get money into our personal bank account. And I felt like that was the messaging that was getting lost a lot. So then, um, the program really became, well, why do we have contracts? It's so that we don't have to issue refunds. Right. And it's so that we get paid. Why do we have S corps? It's to save taxes so that we can put more money into our retirement or towards our vacation or whatever. And so the messaging became a lot more about building a profitable business and tying in the cash flow elements that I teach. And now I also cover some elements of personal finance. Uh, systems because people ask me how I do project management in my own business all the time. So mm. I teach elements of that as well. And it's pretty robust. It's actually a 10 module course. 
uh, inside of a membership payment structure. Okay. And, and so you launched that in November of, yes. of 2021. Uh, what was the monthly fee? So it was, it was, and we'll talk about this too. It was $75 a month. Um, that price points now a hundred dollars a month, but I now, uh, have made that the VIT VIP tier of the program. Cause there are a lot of people who just seem to want the content, but not the support. So now we have a $30 a month option as well, but I launched, when I launched at $75 a month. We launched with, uh, somewhere between 80 and 85 members, which was pretty good. My goal is a hundred. We got relatively close. Um, but yeah, I had a 35% live conversion rate on that, on that webinar that I did. 35%. Holy shit. (laughs) So, but like, this was not the cheapest thing you'd ever done. See, sometimes I see people come in with some kind of membership or even just low price thing. And like the conversion rate is crazy high because it's so much cheaper. Like, um, I always expect that that was what happened with Rachel Rogers when she introduced the club, which when it was Mm -hmm. launched, it was $300 a month, which is not a cheap membership fee, but compared to her 20 or 25 K mastermind, it was just a no brainer. But in your case, like, what do you attribute that high conversion rate on the webinar at least, um, to? Yeah. So like rate, like, like Rachel, I think a lot of it has to do with context. So I've never had what I would consider a high ticket program, but my, my signature course was a $2,000 course and all of that content went into the membership and the course became the first five modules. So now it was, well, you get the previous program plus all this other stuff for $75 a month. So the value proposition was good. There were people who'd wanted to join my course previously, previously, who didn't want to spend the 2k on it. And also I feel like one thing I do pretty well is I hype up my programs before I launch them. So it's, you know, Instagram stories of, oh, I'm working on this thing. It's going to be really exciting. Stay tuned in two months, two months when it's available. So people were joining the webinar, uh, I think with the intent that they were already probably going to join. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, when I launch, I let people know a relative idea of what the price point is because I like to have good live conversion rates on the webinar. And I Mm -hmm. want people to be like prepared with their credit card and like know how much money to expect. So it's not like sticker shock when they get there. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to think that live webinar conversion rates was just a vanity metric. Like I never Mm -hmm. understood why until I realized that people change their mind. People are like into it. And then it's, it's the same thing that happens on sales calls all the time. If you don't convert them on the sales calls, so often they will go away and find a reason why not, you know, why yeah. not to join, why not to invest, whatever. Um, so now I get it. And now I understand like fast action bonuses and things. And it doesn't mean that we should be pushing people to make a decision that they're not ready for, but some people are really ready. Yeah. Yeah. That's the delicate balance. Cause you don't want to like strong arm them and strong arm them into it and make them like regret their purchase, but you mm-hmm. want to give them enough incentive. Right. So when I send out my um, it's usually in the reminder emails. So in the mm-hmm. promo emails, I'll say, Oh, I'm going to be teaching you this thing for 45 minutes. And then I'm going to be inviting you to join a new program that I'll be launching like on the webinar. And I feel like you do this as well. 
And then in the reminder emails, I'll give them a little bit more information about the program. And then I'll say, I uh, also, I think you're going to be really excited because this will be one of the most affordable things that I've launched. It will be a monthly price point. It's going to be, you know, under a hundred dollars a month. Or if I am launching a high ticket thing, I would let them know this is going to be super, super high touch. Um, this is who might be a good fit, but then that way, uh, you know, especially if you're going to ask, ask them to drop like two grand on a live webinar. I think it's good for people to be prepared for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So that, I mean, what was the MRR on that? The monthly recurring revenue from that launch 75 people. Yeah, and it, it, and it, it ended up coming out to about $5,800, I believe. Um, I had, so my previous membership we talked about earlier, I still had people paying for that that were basically inactive members. Mm -hmm. So I just rolled them all into the new membership at their existing price points. Uh, so in the new membership, I had some people that were paying, I think when I very first launched my first membership, it was $19 a month. And I still had like three people who were paying for that. Uh -huh. um, so when I averaged it all out, I think like the average, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Average cost per customer? Co no, value per customer? Yeah. was It was like Ear $65 <laughs> times like 80 some people. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, got it. Got it. Okay, cool. And so that was in November and we are at the end of March, 2022. What have you been doing this year? So I currently, um, as we speak, am doing like a second founding members launch from the membership because I introduced what I'm calling the content only subscription. Don't love the name, not very sexy, but I think it <laughs> explains pretty well what it is. You don't get any support. You just get all the content. Uh, and that's $30 a month. And so I launched that a couple weeks ago. Um, before that though, oh, we should probably talk about the contract ball. I think that'll be interesting okay. for people. I'll launch that in January. All right. What's the contract ball? <laughs> this is how you can tell I'm also a podcast host. I'm like, let's talk, yeah. let's talk about, let's talk about this. So the contract vault is really just a bank of contracts. This is a fun lesson as well. I used to sell a contracts course called Unfuck Your Contracts because Unfuck Your Biz was my signature program. I had Unfuck Your Contracts, like Unfuck Your Systems. I had a bunch, a bunch of those. But Unfuck Your Contracts was the course. And then I finally had this like epiphany realization that like literally no one wants to take a contracts course. I didn't want to when I was in law school. God knows business owners don't want to. But what it was, it was really just all of my contract templates. And then you also had trainings on like how to use the templates. And I was mm -hmm. calling it a course. And so then I rebranded it. Um, I renamed it the contract vault. And now I market it as a bank of contracts. Oh, and there's trainings in here if you want to watch those. And I reduced the price to $30. Uh, it was like $300 before. And we sold, I think, 217 of those, like in the last two to three weeks of January. And now as of this morning, we're at like 362, somewhere around there. So that's been very popular at the price point, as you can imagine. Yeah, it is so cheap. It, it yeah. Tell me how you came to that number. So we're both um, friends with Abby and Emily from Boss Project. Mm -hmm. And if you ever listen to their profit reports, or I'm sure they talked about this when they were on your podcast, they've had a course now for years called Trello for Business that sells for $30. And 
I think they've said they've sold like thousands of them at this point, but then a certain, like a very, they have a very high percentage of people who buy that and then end up buying their higher ticket thing. And I've tried to mimic that for the longest time. Like Abby and Emily are not the only people doing this, right? Like you call it, I think people call it an acquisition product and like Ascension marketing bullshit, Mm -hmm. but everything I tried before just hadn't really sold. And it's like, well, I think if you want something that's a paid offer that's like basically acts as a legion because people just buy it so quickly. It has to be such a no brainer of a deal. And that's Mm -hmm. why I decided to price it that way. And ultimately it's been making me more money too, because before I would maybe sell like one of that contracts course per month and make $300. Mm -hmm. And now I'm selling like 60 to 70 quantity of a $30 product each Mm. month. And uh, I feel like I've seen your ads recently. I know I saw them before. Are you still running ads to that? No, I turned it off. Um, because I think my ad spend, I mean, you would probably tell me to spend more, I would guess we could talk about that too, but my average cost per sale. Am I using, is that the correct? Yeah, term? that's it. Like, yeah. Okay. It was up to like $65. Oh, um, I wouldn't tell you to spend more. Yeah. So I, I turned it off. I think like at the best, I got really excited because I got my first sale after like $20 of ad spend. And I was like, this is it. I'm going to be rich by next week. Just wait. And then of course, of course that didn't happen. It was kind of a fluke that one person bought really early. No, it's not because when you launch Facebook ads, Facebook will show them to your warmest audience first, even if you're Mm -hmm. targeting cold, but I'm pretty sure you were targeting warm to start, right? Yeah, I think so. But Claire, like a lot of my, so I'm curious what your thoughts would be on this. A lot of what I was thinking was even if people aren't buying, they're getting the ad all the time. And then maybe they're people that have already bought like through my list. Cause I hadn't segmented them out and then it's top of mind and they'll be recommending it to other people. So I'm like, even if the cost per sale is not great, it's almost like an awareness ad or an engagement ad. Yeah. But you can do those for a lot cheaper than you're doing them. <laughs> yeah. There Which are other objectives. What I could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause the goal, like the goal for this for the contract vault is that people organically share it. Like now I'll see someone will ask about contracts, like in a group that I am a member of, but not my Facebook group. And like two or three people will link it and recommend it. And that is my goal for this. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I'm keeping it at $30 for now is I think that there is like a magic price point to where that no longer happens. Uh, And I don't know what that price point is, but I'm uh, a little too chicken to uh, play around with that right now. Okay. No, no. I, I mean, I think that all really makes sense about the the price point. I mean, yeah, it is insanely low given, you know, what you would pay a lawyer even for one contract. Like I paid somebody like $250, I think for a contract template, one contract Mm -hmm. right before you launched yours. And, um, and, but my question to you is, how many versions of creative did you try in your ads? <laughs> just, just one. Well, I had one video. So it was a real like video. Yeah. And then I think I did uh, one like caption headline, whatever the fuck you call those. And then uh, my mastermind told me I needed to change it because it was like unclear what I was selling. So then I changed it. Mm-hmm. So two creatives, I guess they performed like the same. Okay. But like one video, right? One video. Yeah. I wanted to do something more exciting, but um, 
I didn't actually want to. So I guess this goes back to the education or the execution thing. I don't like really love doing ads. So mm. it always kind of ends up at the bottom of my to-do list. The creative yeah. part of it anyway. Exactly. Oh, same. Um, I have a, a, like a, a set of clients there, you know, two team members and every single day they launch new creative, different images, different copy. It is a sight to behold. And because they're really, really committed to using ads for lead gen, for fast lead gen, they have an objective to be met quickly and it can't, it just would not be able to be done organically. It's very unlikely, let's say that it would be able to. And so I just, I just want to point that out. It's like, I know that you had some good success. My friend, Steph Crowder had this one ad. She literally never, ever, ever changed the creative. And it went, I don't know, for like two years in a row, not all year, but around the, the end of the year. Cause that's when it made sense to run the ads. And it was just like amazing. But most of us do not have an insane, like creative that connects so quickly off, yeah. off the jump. So Anyway, that's all. That's my little spiel. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta take some time, and actually, I need to invest more money into it um, and stop just kind of like playing ads. I gotta. Well, we'll so that's we'll the interesting thing because you have to spend even when you're playing, right? Yeah, but I did, I did like thirty dollars a day for three days, and then went down to five dollars a day. So oh. I'm, you know, I've never really set aside like the three grand or the five grand to really test the audiences and all that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is what you need to identify, and this is what I say all the time to my, to my clients is you need to identify the cost per conversion or cost, Mm -hmm. excuse me. Let's just, let's be a little bit more specific here. Cost per acquisition, right? Because that's a cost per sale, not just any conversion, right? So whenever you launch something, initially it typically does well, typically. Uh, And that could be a tripwire when it's on the back end. That could be, you know, a product on the front end, a lead magnet, whatever. And it's often because even if you're doing all the exclusions that you want, Facebook is still showing your ads to as many warm people as they can. So the, yeah. my clients will get like great results initially and then be like, what happened? Um, so what, what you need to find is like, what is the cost per acquisition to stone cold audiences and does it make sense? Like, right. Like you wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily suggest you spend $5,000 to find out what your cost per acquisition is, because it's not like you have an evergreen webinar. It's a product. So, you know, I work on that though. Oh, you're (laughs) going to work on your evergreen webinar. You mean? Yeah. I don't know. We, well, this is something we'll have to chat about, but I don't know if I'm going to do an evergreen webinar for my $30 a month membership. I think that might be overkill, but just an evergreen funnel to sell that will be the, like, yeah. What, it, what do you mean overkill? I don't like it. Do people want to sit through a whole webinar to buy a $30? It doesn't a have month? to be, it doesn't have to be like, and this maybe maybe this is what you meant. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have to be a full on webinar. Like this is my, this is my, <laughs> position now on the internet. Okay. You know how I used to say like Facebook ad traffic performs differently. You like have to do a lot more to convert them. That's now our industry. Okay. It's not, it doesn't matter where the traffic comes from. It's our industry. People are tired. So yeah, I still think you need the way a webinar connects people with you quickly, but it doesn't have to be 90 minutes with the same format that everybody is using 
I mean, I am literally putting together an evergreen webinar with like that audit walkthrough. Yeah. That was just like the most casual hangout with some of my subscribers ever. I didn't even introduce myself in it. But See, if I, if I did something, I would probably just do, I mean, I would just call it a sales video, like 10 to mm -hmm. 20 minutes on what is this program and why should you buy it? Um, but then for that, it's like, do you actually have people sign up for that to then drip them into a nurture sequence? Or is it just a video that you put at the top of your sales page? Right. That's the thing. Uh, there is no, I do really see the appeal of giving people a limited time to watch a training. I think it's yeah. still good to give value, to give free value. And like, like my program, well, until recently, my program was on evergreen. So our plan was that there be no deadline around applying, mm -hmm. but the deadline was going to be around watching the training because it had value and I'm giving it away for free. So I'm going to ask you to do that in a certain amount of time. Otherwise, I like think my, yeah, I think my hang up with the new program is with the introduction of this content only tier, my assumption. So this is my assumption, right? Whether it's correct, I don't know. But my assumption is if someone wants to buy my $2,000 course or the VIP tier of my membership, they want to learn, like they're ready. Their pain points are strong enough that they want to take the time to go through my program. Whereas the intent of this $30 tier is we're launching it the same way we launched the contract vault. You don't have to go through all of this. You might not need to go through all of it, but when you have these particular pain points or these particular issues in your business, the trainings are there for you to access. It's almost, we're marketing it more like you would a legal subscription, like with an attorney. Mm -hmm. So then my assumption is, if we're marketing it as we don't want you to have to spend a lot of time on this, then you may not want to like sign up and sit through a training. You're just like ready to buy it, to have access. To well, some people never want to sit through a training and they sit through a training for whatever course they're interested in or for the answer that they want. And some people never watch the training and might just be interested in the yeah. sales emails that they get, you know, like. Oh, I had a thought and it's just completely, I, I still think, I still think Brayden, what is needed because what I got, I got like tied up in my, in my cables here. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Please edit that out. Um, even if the price is a no brainer for the offer, what I think people don't really except in their brain is that nobody wants to pay for anything on, on subscription. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. only $30 a month, but that's why your, your conversion rate for the contract vault is always going to be so much higher because it is one time. Yeah. No, it's like, it doesn't matter the price. People have prices, uh, seven, $8 for a membership. That's still hard to sell. So that's why I think just the adding value showing that you are somebody who knows what they're talking about, somebody that they, you know, know, like, and trust quickly in a video that that's going to go towards people saying, all right, uh, I'll do this. Okay. So I'll, I'll try that. I'll have to put that on my to-do list after recording the audiobook for my 900 page textbook. So like next week, we'll do that next week. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to ask about the textbook. He's got a textbook, everybody, too. Two of them. They're great. It's great. Yeah. You think people won't sit through a little training and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to listen to a 900-page audiobook. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah.
Uh, people do, people do a, a very a small percentage of people do and the people who do it love it so. okay so question about the content only um tier because like i remember that i gave you some shit about this idea yeah right but then what i realized is i was actually paying that much but per quarter instead of or more maybe slightly uh -huh. more uh for my lawyer who in most cases, if I reach out to her, she's like, okay, here's how much that'll cost. Yeah. It's like not include, like a few things are really included in. So if I, if I joined, for example, and then I had a, oh, you know, such and such client wants to get out of their contract or blah, blah, blah. In order for me to talk to you or is talk to a community, I yeah. need to upgrade. Yes. So the idea is that the content only tier gives you access to all the content. So mm -hmm. if you have this problem client who wants to cancel, you can go in and grab our cancellation contract template. Or if you have someone that's ripping off your course name, you can go in and grab a cease and desist template. Or if you need to file your taxes, you can go in and go through the tax season playbook, which is a mini course that I have for tax season. List goes on, right? But then if you're like, all right, I get that this is here, Brayden. I'm busy. I don't want to spend the time on this, whatever. You can either book one-on-one -on -one time with me, um, which would be, we have, I'm calling it member only rates for my one-on-one -on -one time. So it's a slightly preferred rate. If you want to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can book VIP days uh, or in the circumstance where it's something that I teach on, but I'm not really an expert in. So for example, trademarks, I know enough about trademarks to teach you the basics. I don't file trademarks. So inside of ProfitRx, I have a list of referrals and then I refer you out to other attorneys, accountants, bookkeepers, and I make referral fees and commissions off of those referrals. So it's kind of like um, the issue I get, the issue I hear most often is people with accountants will say literally someone last week, oh, I emailed my accountant to ask them what my payroll salary should be for my S corp, but I'm not expecting to hear anything back for two weeks. And if I do hear something back, like they're not really going to give me very much information. It's just, oh, be like wow. A answer. That sucks. Yeah. So, so it's like, all right, well, a, maybe find a new accountant, but I hear this problem all of the time. Right. And most of your accountants are just there to file your tax return. You're not paying them really for consulting. So you either need to pay a lot more money for an accountant that is going to give you consulting, or you can join my membership learn everything that you need to learn, and then just use that churn and burn accountant to do your tax return. So this is the gap that I'm hoping it will fill. Claire, and originally I assume most of my members would be newer students or like newer business owners, but I just had someone reach out to me yesterday who said she made 30, 30K in 2020, 180K in 2021, and she's expecting to basically double that this year, but she hasn't done any bookkeeping. She like doesn't really have any entity set up. And so it's like, all right, we'll join the membership. And if you want to book one-on-one -on -one time, you can, but we got to get your books caught up, your tax return filed, you need to file an S corp because it's going to save you about six grand in taxes. And once you're in the program, you can kind of choose your own adventure on which elements of that you want to DIY versus work with me on versus hire one of my referral partners. Got it. Wow. Okay. Interesting. That wasn't a very succinct sales pitch, but it's getting like better with time, I think. I mean, the thing is, so I am constantly boxing you questions. And I guess really what I'm curious about is at what tier can people do that, but not in Boxer? <laughs> in like, do you have a, a Facebook group? 
Or yeah, a- so we have a Facebook group. So any member, uh, well, anyone, my Facebook group's actually free and my membership uses the same Facebook group. So oh. all of you can go join my Facebook group. You can post those questions in the group. Uh, and uh, what ends up happening is a lot of my former students and like current students will answer the questions because they've gone through all my material. Um, and then I'll chime in when needed. And, uh, but if you want to ask me the question, you can upgrade to our VIP tier, which is a hundred dollars a month. And we do group calls every Tuesday and every Friday for an hour. Whoa. And people come and they have me review documents. They have me answer questions. Um, so that's the way that we would do it. So it's kind of like content only is the bottom tier, then the mm-hmm. VIP tier, uh, of the membership. And then above that, if you're like, Braden, I don't even want to fuck around with a group call. No problem. Like you can get one-on-one time on my calendar if you would like to pay for it. Got it. Okay. You have talked to me a lot this year about your profit goals. And I have shared with you how, like, I don't even know what my profit is because it feels like everybody calls it something different (laughs) or, or they, they all say the word profit, but they are calculating it differently. So how do you calculate profit? So Claire, your podcast has actually been like instrumental, uh, in this kind of Avenue for me, which I don't think I've shared this with you before, but it's because when I listen to people on your podcast, one person will say, Oh, I'm at 20% profit. It's really, really great. I'm taking home all this money. And in my mind, I'm like, that's not very profitable. And then the next person will say they're at 70% profit. And then I finally realized Oh, they're just, they're looking at different lines on their PL to say what their profit is. And we need a shared language. Mm-hmm. So what I now teach inside of profit RX is you essentially, you have your gross revenue, right? All your business income minus all of your expenses, excluding. So excluding your owner salary, if you have an S S corp, so business income minus expenses, I call that your owner profit. So that's your like beneficial profit in the business. Mm-hmm. So if you had a hundred thousand in gross income and 20 K in expenses, your owner profit would be $80,000. And then if you paid yourself a salary of 40,000 through payroll, then leftover from that would be, oh my God, quick math rate and 40 K, right? Did I get that right? And mm-hmm. that's what I call your business profit. Business mm-hmm. profits, what's usually at the end of the PL and what goes on certain portions of the tax return. And that's obviously a huge difference if one person saying they have 40% profit and one person is saying they have 80% profit, but their numbers are actually exactly the same. So I differentiate between those two numbers. And are taxes that you paid included in expenses? No. But then you didn't mention taxes in any of that. Yeah. Then that's where I would call that your take-home pay. So your take-home pay would be your owner profit minus your taxes. Mm -hmm. And what that ends up coming out to is that's your salary, your salary plus the business profit minus taxes paid would be your take-home pay. Oh my God. So just to give everyone an understanding of how I've been calculating tax uh, profit over the past, um, well, since I started my business is initially I was just like, okay, revenue, all revenue minus all expenses equals profit. profit. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about taxes. I wasn't thinking about take home. That's just what I was calling profit. Yeah. Now, now when I look at profit, I'm going all revenue minus expenses minus the taxes because my 
salary in Gusto, almost none of it, Gusto is just like a, you know, payroll provider. Mm-hmm. None, almost none of it goes into my personal bank account. It just all goes to pay for taxes. So I look at, and then, then everything after that is owner pay. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. The reason why I don't like include taxes when looking at my business profit is because like the business, the business shouldn't be paying all of your taxes. So if you're on payroll, the business has to pay your employment taxes, right? So Mm -hmm. they have to pay their share. They have to withhold your employee share. But then after that, I pay myself, right? And then if I have a tax balance, I'm going to pay quarterly taxes and those quarterly taxes should be handled through my personal bank account mm-hmm. because sole props, single member LLCs, and S corps are passed through entities. The business does not pay the tax. Uh, the personal person should be doing that. And it doesn't sound like a huge deal until you have partnerships. And mm. then that's like a big no, no, because you could have one partner who only has the business income and they're, you know, income might be $50,000 a year. And then the other partner has a spouse who makes $400,000 and they're in drastically different tax brackets. So it's Mm -hmm. like, imagine what paying the taxes from the business bank account would look like. It's real sticky. Uh, I try not to get caught up on technicalities too much when I'm teaching, but it's like, you never know what's going to happen in the next year or two of your life. So we might as well set it up right from the start. Got it. Well, I find it really important to... I mean, actually, I I kind of think of this profit number then as a bit of a vanity metric because like if, because what I care about, which is what you said that you care about is how much I pay myself. Right. Right. That's all that matters. Yeah. And so that, that comes after taxes. So like, I don't even think in my, and I get it. I get it. It's not because it's supposed to go for my personal bank account. Okay. But it's not money that I can put towards a new car or a new house, right? That money, that tax money, it has to sit in a little envelope in my personal account. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, in a sense. So for, for me, Claire, like my take-home pay is what I think about when I think about my long-term goals, Mm -hmm. because I know what I want to spend money on and I know how much money I need in my personal bank account to accomplish those. But when I'm looking at short-term goals, like what's my monthly profit goal for this month, I look at owner profit. So again, it's income minus all the expenses other than my salary. And the reason why I do that is because those are the only things that are really within my control, right? So I can look at my taxes, but if I'm just looking at like how well did I execute this month and how well did I sell, like tax doesn't really factor into that. Mm, I see. I see what you mean. I see. So you have, you have like a monthly, a monthly profit goal. Yes. And sometimes I wonder when we're talking, because Brayden and I will basically do a long, very long zoom call every couple of months or so. And sometimes I wonder like, why are you so focused on one month Mm -hmm. instead of longer term periods? Because I wonder if you're doing what I used to do, which was what are the decisions I'm going to make in order to make money now that don't necessarily support real like revenue jumps in the long term? Yeah. And that's a very legitimate concern on one that I'm being cognizant of. I can give you an example in a second, but 
I think my issue was, is in the past, I actually had the opposite issue. I would say, okay, I'm not doing great this month, but I have a huge launch happening in April of Mm. 2021. I'm going to make all my money then. Mm. And then I don't make all of my money then. Mm -hmm. And now I'm really shooting myself in the foot because I've been complacent for like the four months before that. Got it. What I do is I essentially teach traction inside of like a version of traction inside of Profit RX. I don't, you know, use their name because that would be a trademark issue. But a lot of the concepts, right? They're not super novel. It's you have a 10 year uh, in the book, he calls it you have a 10 year picture or sorry, a 10 year vision, a three year picture, a one year goal, and then you have quarterly goals. So I'm most concerned about I know where I want to go long term, but I'm only really focused on the one year revenue goal. And then I'm going to break that down into quarters. So Q4 is always the biggest for me. So I'll have the biggest revenue goal that quarter. The other quarters are a little bit smaller. And so my Q1 goal is 45K. So that's 15K a month. So my January goal is 15K. And so then what I'm doing is when January 20th rolls around, I'm going to look and say, you know, how close am I to this monthly goal? And if I'm not that close, what can I do in order to reach it? And to address your concern, Claire, I would ask myself, okay, I can send out this email. I can send out this promotion. But if I'm doing a launch like second week of February, is this promotion then going to hinder the launch that I'm doing in the month of February, right? So I'm actually dealing with this like today. I was thinking about this this morning because I'm going to be about $3,000 off of my March goal. Um, but I'm also doing my membership launch right now. But again, my membership's $30 a month. So I'm not going to have the amount of sales to hit that goal. So the question is, do I send out a separate email doing an invitation to work with me one-on-one, um, which might hinder my membership launch, right? It might get me fewer membership sales, which those sales are going to help me build the revenue that I want moving forward because it's MRR. Uh, or do I push more to hit this month's goal? And in this case, I think I might just kind of let the monthly goal go uh, in hopes that it's going to get me more revenue through the rest of the year. But that's just having a number in mind every month, I think helps me keep on track of what I need to be doing. And then I can make those strategic decisions on a more regular basis in a very conscious manner. Hmm. Great. Yeah, I knew that. I knew you would have a great answer for that. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. I mean, not being somebody with revenue goals, with like hard revenue goals or, or even monthly, you know, like this is, this is a weird moment in my business. Yeah. And, you know, I told you January and February were not profitable, but I had had a very big December, you know, I had, I, you know, about my slush fund and how I'm always like putting into it. So last year, October and November were also like bad months, but of course the business was very profitable in the long run of, of 2021. And I'm kind of looking at that now as well, like trying to make decisions, trying to do both, right. Trying to like have that monthly thing where it's like, well, I, the very least I want to be profitable. And this is again, where language comes in, because I think I was telling you profitable for me means I pay myself a very hefty salary. So mm-hmm. I'm talking about covering not just expenses, but my very hefty salary, right? Yeah. But then I know that like April will probably be a very, very low revenue month. And then May, because of the planned launch, should be much higher. And you asked me a really good question when we were planning that launch. You were like, 
will you be satisfied with not, if you make $9,000 in that launch, because like that is the investment of one, one person into get paid marketing. And that was like the number we came up with for the workshop magic. And I said, no, <laughs> you know, because, because that's the thing, those, the launch, that launch has to then cover several months because I won't be launching again. And it, it does kind of put me in a bit of a precarious situation. Mm-hmm. Like if May's launch does not actually do what I hope it will in terms of revenue, I might not be able to, I might have to start. Well, no, I'm going to use your word. I, I can't just be kind of complacent and take the break from selling that I would like to yeah. over the summer, you know? Yeah. And I think just for our own mindset, I think there's a difference between be like, to me, when I say being complacent, I mean, I mean, just kind of being lazy. There's a difference between that. And like, I like I promoted so heavily to my list that like, they need a couple of months to breathe. That's Mm. a strategic decision. Mm -hmm. So then it's, you know, we're also grappling with like, am I being complacent or am I, am I actually doing the right thing here? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's tricky when you do go into like a launch model that then doesn't have like a secret evergreen backdoor. You know, that's how it was with courses. It was always on evergreen. Um, But I don't want to say that that's what I'm doing and then not stand in, in integrity with that, you know, and then like actually open the doors again for get paid. Yeah. Uh So, but we'll see, it'll be interesting. So then what do you have coming like down the pipeline for the rest of, let's just say for Q2. Yeah. So this is really interesting for me because this is the first time in a while I don't have any like definitive launches planned. Uh, my next, I always do my biggest launch in October or November because Q4 is when people want to do a lot of the stuff that I teach. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, um, I'm planning on dipping my toes more into the waters of JV stuff, joint venture webinars, all that kind of, those kind of things. So we're going to talk about that um, to do a JV for your audience, which I think would be super fun. And then some other mini promotions as well. Um, yeah, I have I have projects that are on like big projects on my calendar, but not like promotions. Just like that. what? What are the projects? Well, my audiobook, like that's the big one. Um, I have to create another. I have I have to create another program, right? Like, choose your words, Brayden. Um, yeah. Not, don't worry. Not something new to sell. This will be now the way everything works. Is I create something, you join the membership if you want to access it. Um, in my previous program, Unfuck Your Biz, module two is on back taxes. Uh, and that program is marketed towards people who really felt like they needed to unfuck their biz. Um, so it was, if you have, uh, you need to get on a payment plan because you didn't plan very wisely last year. You haven't filed your tax return, all that kind of stuff. That module is essentially going to be expanded and it will become a bonus course inside of the membership. And I'll be launching that after April 15th or I'll be marketing it after April 15th when some people, specifically those who made a lot more money last year than they expected, need to kind of scramble to get mm. a, an action plan together. So that'll be on my project list as well, among with like along with a couple of smaller things. Can I give you one suggestion? Yeah. I'm thinking if I'm somebody who's in that situation and I'm staring down the barrel at tax day, I would love to know that that is coming. Yeah. And like that, that, kind of what, what do I, what do I do? Do I file my taxes or not? Like how, how do I handle that before the date? 
I don't know. Yeah. Just, just throwing that out there. Yeah. I like that. Well, I'll have to chat. This is part of my issue is I always feel like I have too many things to promote. Mm-hmm. Like I did the tax season playbook um, to help people get their taxes done. Right. And so now I'm promoting that inside of the program, like join the program to get your taxes done with the playbook. But then I can also see that unfuck your taxes. Like the mini course will be coming in April. Um, yeah. I have a hard time with like multiple messages. It's like one of my, this, this is why I have a, a one signature program now. Fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> but if that became part of your brand where there's always something new. Yeah. Like, I don't think that you, I, I think people will get to know that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and this is why this is why I moved to a subscription model because last summer when I had my my movie montage moment, <laughs> I put like eight courses on my website, and I just I didn't know how to sell it. So it's mm-hmm. not I don't think it's that that business model doesn't work, but I didn't know like what to promote when and how to actually get people excited when everything was available all the time. Mm-hmm. So now all of those programs, so Profit RX is a ten module course itself. But then each module pretty much has its own mini course. So like module seven is hiring. Okay, now you're scaring people away. What the fuck? A mini course inside each module? No, 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 no. So the idea is, the idea, Claire, is if you came to me and you said, hey, I need to bring on like two new hires next week. Like I want to join ProfitRx, but I can't wait until module seven for Mm -hmm. like the hiring information. We've took all those trainings out and put it in a mini course so you could start there. Oh, cool. So when you go through my welcome sequence, I kind of help, I have you pick out what I call your profit plan and you can start a module early if you need to. And so I've done that and moving forward, the content that I still want to create, like unfuck your taxes will become a new program inside. But the subscription idea is, is every tax season, I'll be revamping and updating the tax season playbook. So you can go through it. And if you ever have back taxes, you always have access to that program. If you're an LLC right now, but you need to shift to an S corp later, it's the idea is you're paying on a monthly basis because your business is constantly evolving and all the content in there, you're not going to need right now, but you may need that later. Who in my audience, who listening right now should really switch, should either incorporate period and or should switch to an S corp? Yeah. If you are doing, like, I would say, particularly in this industry, if you're on track to profit, back to this word, Claire, profit, we're not talking about owner salary. We're not talking about your salary. If you expect to profit at least $80,000 revenue minus expenses this year, then you should be doing an S corp. If we want to boil it down to as simple as possible, Mm -hmm. it'll save you about two to three grand in taxes. Mm. And it won't cost that much to set up because you'll be helping, right? Yeah, because you can join my program for $30. And then if you don't already have an LLC, you will have to form one in your state because an S-Corp is not a business entity. It's a tax status. So uh. you and elect S-Corp tax status. And then you will use my affiliate link through Gusto. I will get a $300 gift card and you will get, pay- you will get payroll for about $50 a month. So those are basically your setup and ongoing expenses. I find Gusto to be tremendously easy to use. Yeah, I love it. Um, okay. So I didn't actually understand why I was an LLC taxed as an S-corp. Because yeah. like when people ask, are you an S-corp? I'm like, uh, I'm an LLC taxed as an S-corp, yes. you know? So that's why. 
Yeah, I give this really bad joke in all my webinars that if we're up to me, we would start calling them SLLCs. But like, I don't have the time for that marketing campaign on a global basis, like in my <laughs> industry, because it just makes a lot more sense, right? But ultimately, you form a corporation or an LLC, and then you elect S Corp status. Most of, us, most of us form LLCs because they're easier to manage. Like the corporate documents mm -hmm. are simpler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Got it. What do you have in terms of team? So now I have, I keep forgetting. So I just hired like two people within the past two months, but I now you forgot their names. Have, yeah. What? <laughs> you forgot their names. No, no, no. I keep saying that I have four contractors, but I actually have five now because I just hired someone two weeks ago. But I would say like they collectively, like between the five of them collectively do 10 hours of work per week. So they all oh. have very niche roles in the business. Okay. What are they? The niches? So I, yeah. The niche so the roles. first person I hired was Lily, who her official title now is tech VA. She's in the Philippines. She's fantastic. So she's the one that like, you know, puts up my podcast and plugs in the show notes and all that kind of stuff. I have Chandra, who is the second person I hired. Uh, she's my community manager. So she attends all of my student calls twice a week. Uh, and she grabs links for people when they need them, helps connect people to resources, all that good stuff. And she handles our support emails. They've both been with me now for almost two years. And then Emily was my third hire. She's my social media VA. Uh, and then two to three months ago, I hired Juliet, who is my copywriter. So she writes launch emails. And then most recently, I hired one of my current students who also has a VA business because she's gone through all my programs. And she is my social salesperson. So she's approving everyone for our Facebook group. This is like her first task. And when you join my Facebook group, Braden's Besties, we can be besties if you want to come join. It'll ask you what is a legal or tax question you have in your business. And then she will DM you either a link to a podcast episode, a blog post I've written, and then if appropriate uh, and helpful, she will pitch you into my program if she thinks it's a good fit. Okay, cool. But so you mentioned this law, which I know has really rocked a lot of California business owners. Sounds like you have a lot of contractors though. Yeah. How does it all work? Well, none of my contractors are in California. <laughs> oh, location matters. Location does matter. Um, um, this is probably a mistake to say like openly on this podcast, but I would say um, Chandra's role is, is, I wouldn't say it's questionable, but there are arguments to be made that she could or should be an employee under some state's laws. She's in Florida, which is pretty lax. Um, Lily as well, but Lily's in the Philippines, so I don't really need to stress about that role. Um but yeah, I'm probably, it's been on my to-do list to hire a couple of my contractors as employees if they would like to be hired as employees. This is the thing though, is people freak out over AB5. It's like, they're not saying you have to hire full-time employees. Like I'm going to potentially have employees that clock in two to three hours of work a week, mm. potentially. And so you just end up paying a little bit more in taxes on them, right? Yeah, just a little bit more. Um, you can always, I mean, this isn't going to work in some cases, but I tell some of my students that you can always lower their hourly rate to offset some of those expenses, mm. explaining to them that, Hey, you won't have to set aside all this money for quarterly taxes. Now I'm essentially paying that for you. So before, if I was paying you $30 an hour and you were setting aside five of that for taxes, I'm just going to pay you $25 an hour now, and you won't have to set that aside for taxes. Mm. Interesting. Um, but then do that, that doesn't go. 
How does that work with them and social security? You'll be paying, you'll be paying into that for them, right? Because okay. it'll be gusto with, we'll withhold all of that and send it to the IRS for you. Got it. Cool. I was surprised to learn that the taxes on like a full-time employee were just not, I, I don't know what I expected, but like my executive assistant who I started, who started last year and she ended up leaving at the beginning of this year, um, you know, she, she had like better than an entry level job, mm-hmm. uh, better than an entry level salary. But my accountant said, set aside about 10 K extra for taxes for her. Or maybe it was even less. And I came up with that number as like a buffer, an extra buffer. It, it wasn't, wasn't that much more. Yeah. What I've been told and what I've experienced is that an employee will typically cost you about 20 to 25% more. Hmm. So if you pay a contractor $40 an hour, expect that they will now cost you $50 an hour between the amount that you pay them and the taxes. And that seems to be pretty accurate based on like the different HR people I've chatted with. Oh, interesting. 20 to, okay, cool. Awesome. Braden. So where can people go and just give you money, get like an entire vault of contracts, um, or join the membership at any, either of the two tiers? (laughs) Sure. So you can join my Facebook group if you want to be fellow besties. Bradensbesties.com should redirect you there. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Braden Adam Drake. So that's B-R-A-D-E-N. Adam, like the biblical figure. Drake, like the rapper. That's my full name. <laughs> uh, and then my website is Bradendrake.com. And that's where you can find out more about the contract vault and Profit RX. Um, I Googled Braden Profit RX and found it. So nice. There we uh, go. Um, I think you have to explain the besties thing because all your emails say that too. And so far there's been zero mention of it. Well, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't think it's really a thing. It's just, so when I started my Facebook group, I had no idea what to name it. And so I named it Braden's besties kind of as as like a placeholder name. And then I just never changed it. Um, it's kind of funny, Claire. I got an email a couple of weeks ago from someone in my Facebook group who bought my program. And there was just, uh, we had like a technical error with the way that she got charged. We got it fixed really quick, but she emailed and she's like, Brayden, we have an issue. And if we don't get this fixed, you're about to go from my bestie to my worstie. <laughs> and so I responded, I was like, no, we want bestie status to stay intact. And we, we got it fixed, but yeah, it's just kind of stuck. So then a lot of our emails, we start with, Hey bestie. Well, but also your brand is like your biz BFF, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for a while, so actually for a while, my website was, um, your legal GBF. <laughs> and, yeah. And then my email was, Hey girl at uh, yourlegalgbf.com. So we ended up changing that, but why? my business, huh? Why did like you change trademark that? issues basically? Oh, yep. So we ended up changing that. And like my business core values are fun, like fun, informative and transparent. And so I think that you can see that in my branding and also the way I talk about my numbers and things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. JB. Amazing. All right, Braden. Thank you so much. It is always such a pleasure to talk to you. Last time, what was it like two, two and a half, three hours, maybe accidentally on Zoom? Well, I'm glad this time we were recording. We finally got that ready. And um, yeah, definitely over the summer, I think is when we'll, we'll bring some great legal tax talk 
to my audience. Yeah. You yes. think? Yes. Yes. And meanwhile, people mm-hmm. can tune into my podcast. I always forget to plug that when I'm on podcasts, mm. unfuck your biz with Braden, everybody put the asterisk for the you Claire. This was uh, fabulous. Thanks so much. Oh, what if they just, what if they search Braden Drake? Will they also find that? Cause like I found get paid podcast still doesn't necessarily pop up the right podcast. Yeah. So I tell people get paid Claire is I don't know. Like you, to... you probably have better, like better SEO magic than I do. So if they search my name, your this episode might pop up first. Well, yes, but on the Apple thing, it'll say shows yeah. and episodes. So yeah, the yeah show, it yeah. should it it should pop up. Yeah, SEO. I don't even know. I'm still calling. I'm pretty sure in the like exit, the outro of this episode, it still refers to Apple Podcasts as iTunes. So don't oh. worry about. Uh, <laughs> Okay. SEO or things like that. I'm slow. I'm slow on the uptake. All right, my dear. So great to chat with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey there. Before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.